0: If you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4 and we're starting at verse 1 going through to uh, verse 14. So Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 1. Now Israel, hear the decrees and the laws that I am about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give to you. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal Peor. But all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. See, I have taught you my decrees and laws that the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations, who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them, the way the Lord our God is near to us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen, nor let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord God at Horeb, when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you. Out of the fire you heard the sound of words but saw no form, there was only voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and the laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess.
1: Friends, who is the God that we worship? What's his character like? I don't know how you're feeling in the wake of global events, but perhaps that question of who God is is a bit more difficult to answer in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. We've seen suffering and pain on a global scale and all of us have been impacted personally. Maybe you've had a loved one in hospital. Maybe you've been unable to attend a wedding or even the funeral for someone you loved. Maybe you've lost work or income. All of us have certainly been more isolated than we've ever been before. And perhaps that question of who God is and what his character is like seems a bit more difficult a question than it did six months ago. Perhaps God seems a bit dangerous, untrustworthy even. The passage that we're going to be reflecting on together for the next few moments, Deuteronomy 4, is spoken to the people of Israel at a time in their lives when they were in real crisis, and they doubted God's character. Is God really good? Does he really care? For sure, God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt, but by now they've wandered for 40 years in the desert, and they're wondering if it'll ever come to an end. And now they're camped on the eastern bank of the Jordan River, looking across to the promised land. But all they can see are giants in their way. The people are huge. The cities are huge. The threats seem overwhelming. And so they doubt God. In fact, it's probably more accurate to say they gave up on God because Deuteronomy 1 verse 27 tells us what they said to one another. The Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. That's their vision of who God is. The Lord hates us. What about us, friends? What's your vision of who God is? I think it's easy for us, like Israel, to allow our understanding of who God is to be shaped by our present circumstances. And so when life is easy going, maybe it's pretty natural to affirm that God is kind and loving. But when life gets rough, maybe we start to see God as a bit of a bully, a capricious or a severe God even. So it's important for us to recognize that in both of those instances, we're basing our understanding of who God is on our present circumstances, for good or for bad rather than on who he has revealed himself to be. So it's important for us to consider what God himself says about who he is. So who is the God that Deuteronomy 4 reveals? Well, firstly, I want to say that Deuteronomy 4 reveals a God who is generous. And we see God's generosity from the very first verse. Now, Israel, hear the decrees and laws I am about to teach you, Follow them so that you may live. God's desire for his people in giving them the law is that they might live. God longs for us to experience the flourishing life that he created us for. It's easy for us to look at the Old Testament law and think, oh, that's just a list of rules. But actually, it's easy to understand from this verse that there's no sense of God just wanting obedience for obedience's sake. No, he wants us to live. He created us. He knows what behaviors and characteristics in us will lead to our flourishing. And so he longs for us to experience life in all its fullness. Verse one continues, follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors is giving you. God is giving them the land. He's a generous God. But here's the thing, friends. At this point in time, Israel are in crisis. They don't know the end of the story of what awaits them across the River Jordan. And so they doubt God. And they say, this isn't a good God. He hates us. But you and I do know the rest of Israel's story. And we know that when they cross the River Jordan, city walls will crumble before them. Armies will flee before them. Why? Because they're not conquering the land. God is giving them the land. He's a generous God. They don't see it because of their present circumstance. But the fact of the matter is, he repeatedly shows himself to be generous to them. Well, the second thing we see about God's character in these verses is that God is near. Look with me again at verses five to eight. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations, who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them, the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? In these verses, Moses is showing God's people that whenever they live in obedience to God's law, the nations will look on and see that God is near. Now, there are two wonderful things that we can take from this. The first is the simple fact of God's nearness to his people. God's giving of the law means that he is near. How is that so? Well, let me illustrate by reading you a prayer This is a prayer from the 7th century BC, and it's entitled, A Prayer to Every God. May the fury of my Lord's heart be quieted toward me. May the God who is not known be quieted toward me. May the goddess who is not known be quieted toward me. May the God whom I know or do not know be quieted toward me. May the goddess whom I know or do not know be quieted toward me. This sin that I have done, indeed, I do not know. This forbidden thing that I have eaten, indeed, I do not know. The prohibited place on which I have set foot, indeed, I do not know. This prayer goes on and on in a similar vein for quite some time, and it reveals a desperate person. Some tragedy has befallen them, and they believe that the gods are punishing them. But they're in a desperate situation. They don't know which god they've offended. They don't know what sin they've committed to offend this god or goddess. And they don't know how to make it right. Now compare that to ancient Israel. They do know God. They know him personally. Moses says in this passage, remember how God revealed himself to you in the pillar of fire? Remember how he spoke to you and you heard his voice? They know God. And they know the difference between right and wrong because they've been given the law they know what God is asking of them. And they know that when they inevitably fail and sin, God has provided the means through the law for them to turn back to him in repentance and find forgiveness. What a stark contrast this is. The giving of the law means that God is near. And friends, it's worth us pausing, I think, and reflecting On what a precious thing it is for us to have a God who is near to us. As many of you will know, in recent weeks our family flew back from Albania to Australia, and we flew on one of the last days when flights were still open. And the level of fear among our fellow travelers was simply extraordinary. No one was talking to one another for fear of the virus, there were people dressed in full hazmat suits, no one was offering help with anything, like you might usually see in a journey. And we weren't immune from this fear. Of course, we were anxious too. We were parents of young children in the middle of a pandemic. The kids were touching everything in sight and shoving their fingers in their mouths. It was a nightmare. But I can honestly tell you that knowing the God who is near transformed that journey for us. At each stage, we could pray together and call out to him. When the kids were scared by something that they saw along the way we could pray with them and remind each other that God was right there with us on the journey. What a wonderful thing it is to have a God who is near and maybe you have instances in your own life of where you've seen his nearness in recent weeks and it brings out the preciousness of what Moses says here in verse 8. What other people is so great as to have their gods near to them, the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him. Well, the second wonderful thing we see, friends, in God's nearness is that he has a concern for the nations. He doesn't only want his people to be near him, but he wants the nations to be near him as well. That's why Moses says, observe the law carefully because this will show your wisdom to the nations. You see, friends, every time we imitate God, every time we live in obedience to his word, we draw others towards him. Uh, Friends of mine, a married couple, have made it a lifelong practice, like many Christians, to pray and say grace before meals, to thank God for his goodness. One night they had a guest with them, and as was their habit, their family all held hands round the table, and they thanked God for the food. And when they had finished, their guest burst into tears because she had never in her family context experienced such a thing where a family would come together spend time with one another but also have God right there as a real presence in their daily lives and she wanted what they had and friends every time someone says that to a believer I want what you've got Deuteronomy 4 6 is being fulfilled God longs for his people to show his nearness in the way that they live so that the nations will also be drawn near to him. Deuteronomy 4 shows us that God is near. And the final thing we see in this passage about God's character is that God is faithful. In the last few verses of the passage, we read about Moses repeating his commands for the people to obey God's law and be faithful to him. Teach the laws to your children, he says, and to their children after them. But notice this, friends, because the law is about imitating God, the way that Moses calls people to be faithful to God is by reminding them of God's own faithfulness. And so he says, remember, remember how God revealed himself to you in the pillar of fire? Remember how you heard his voice, how he led us through the desert? Moses is reminding the people that their faithfulness is merely a response to God's faithfulness already displayed. In the New Testament, the Apostle John puts it this way, We love because he first loved us. That's what Moses is saying here in Deuteronomy 4. God was faithful to us first and so we are faithful to him in return. We love because he first loved us. So friends, that's who our God is. He's generous, he's near to us, and he's faithful. But I think it's important that we recognize as we close that even with such a wonderful God by our side, life can and often will be very difficult. After all, the fact that God was with Israel didn't change the fact that there were still giants in their way. And so it is for us. I don't know what you're going through this week, whether it's family tensions, relationship breakdown, financial struggles, whatever it is. We know that Christians are not immune to the difficulties of life. And so I think the question for us to reflect on is how do we not lose hope in God in times of crisis? Like Israel did. And I think Moses gives us a model to follow here in Deuteronomy 4 because Moses lifts the people's eyes off their momentary circumstance and onto the person of God himself. We look not to our own circumstances, but to the person of God. And as we seek to do this, I think we have two huge advantages over Israel. The first advantage that we have is that we live after the coming of Jesus. I began by asking the question, what is God like? And of course, the answer that the Bible ultimately gives is, God is like Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. In Deuteronomy 4, we see that God is generous, near, and faithful, and it's in the person of Christ that we see those three characteristics coming together perfectly. In Jesus, we see the generosity of God. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave. What did he give? His one and only Son, that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have eternal life. You see, friends, God doesn't change. We may change as we go in and out of crises, but God doesn't change. The same generosity that caused him to give his people the law so that they might have flourishing life is the same generosity that caused him to send his one and only son, that we might have eternal life. In Jesus, we see the nearness of God. Matthew 1.23, You shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus leaves the glory of heaven and shares our burdens and our pains. And in Jesus, we see the faithfulness of God. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In Jesus, we see the faithful promises of God finally fulfilled as sin and death are conquered on the cross and we can access new life with God. So what a privilege we have to live this side of the cross And to see the person of Jesus as God's concrete expression of his generosity, his nearness, and his faithfulness. But friends, we have another huge advantage over ancient Israel. I said before that one of the reasons that Israel doubted God was because they couldn't see the end of their story. But friends, we do know the end of our story because Jesus himself has shown it to us. Let me read about it from Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people This is where our story is heading, friends. And when we see that end of the story, we see again God's character revealed. A God who is generous, a God who is near, and a God who is faithful. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.